Hello, everyone. That music is so pumping up, I'm not going to lie. I'm kind of disappointed you all didn't stand and cheer for me when the lights came on. Maybe if I had, if I, <laughs> if I had like walked out slowly from backstage or something, smoke, you know, we just need, we, let's make that happen, Elijah. Smoke, all right? That would go well with the Ignite thing, smoke coming out as Craig walks out on stage next week. All right, sorry. Moving on, moving on. You know, we're in this Ignite sermon series, and, and we're looking at events that took place over 2,000 years ago. And these events, they were, they were life-changing events that, that caused a movement that changed the world. And so far, we've looked at uh, uh, Jesus' uh, uh, triumphant entry into Jerusalem, his death. Last Sunday, I don't know about you, but I'm still riding that spiritual high from our Easter services. We celebrated the resurrection. And today, we're going to look at a teaching moment that Jesus had with his disciples and his followers. And it's hard to think of, uh, it can be hard to imagine a teaching moment being life-changing, but uh, Jesus established uh, the, the precedent that would set the movement that ignited God's church in this teaching moment. It was a, it was a movement that, that built up God's church and it changed the world. And as we sit here today in 2021, we need a movement, Right? The world needs a movement. The world needs the church. The church is the hope of the world. And so as we look at these events and, and we think about what it would be like to be part of this movement, you know, we don't need a new spark. We don't need a new catalyst to ignite a movement. The same power that, that raised Jesus from the dead, the same power that Jesus had as he taught his disciples is the same power that's available to the church today. God wants us to be a movement today that changes the world. When Jesus was talking to the apostle Peter about the church, he said, on this rock, I will build my church and the very gates of hell will not stand against it. That paints a picture of the church moving and assaulting the very gates of hell. I want to be a part of that movement. I want to be a part of a movement that tears down the work that Satan is doing in our world and sheds light for all to see upon God. You know, the, 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 the disciples that gathered there, we're the same today. There's no difference. We may be dressed differently and culture is different, but we are, we are disciples of Christ just like they were then. And for the disciples, this teaching from Jesus that we're going to look at, it awakened in them a renewed uh, uh, passion for the mission of the church and what God wanted them to do. And so let us let this teaching from Christ just awaken us anew to the purpose of the church and being part of that. So we're going to dig into uh, this teaching. It's in Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. If you have your Bibles, you can get those out now. And we're going to look at Jesus' great commission to the church. But before we dig into the Word, let us bow our heads, go to God in prayer before we read the Holy Scriptures this morning. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you so much that we can gather here in person, here in presence. We can gather in online, Lord. And no matter where we are, we have access to your word. God, that's such an amazing gift, and we're so thankful for the truth of your holy scriptures. And we ask, God, that you would use them to challenge us, motivate us, inspire us, transform us, God. That we would leave here different than when we arrived because we had an authentic encounter. We surrender ourselves to you, Lord. I ask that you just have your way in our midst. I pray this in your name. Listen to Jesus' word, Matthew 28, 16 through 20. 
It says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so again, Jesus is gathered with a bunch of his disciples and he gives this great commission uh, teaching, this, this commission for the church. Now, a little bit of background before we dig into the scripture too much. Um, the Apostle Paul actually re- references this gathering in his letter to the church in Corinth. Listen to what he writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 6. It says, For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. So it is widely believed that these gatherings are the same. So Jesus not only gathered in front of his 11 disciples, but, but uh, hundreds more got wind of this gathering and showed up to hear Jesus speak. And there's, they, they gather at the Mount of Galilee. There's no more information given about this mount, but the fact that the gospel writer just referred to it as that simply suggests that he knew his audience would be familiar with the place. And so we can, we can determine that it was most likely the Mount of Beatitudes that they were gathered at. And this is so fitting. You know, Jesus was always so intentional with his teachings. He was intentional about where he was when he taught, what he taught with where he was and who he was with. And, and so to be on the Mount of Beatitudes where he gave the, ser- the Sermon on the Mount is just an amazing thing to consider because it was under the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. And in that prayer, he, he taught us to pray, God, your will be done, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And now we have Jesus, after his resurrection, before his ascension, teaching his disciples what it looks like for God's will to be done and for us to partner with him to advance his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. The teaching literally has gone full circle for Jesus Christ. So with that background in mind, we're gonna explore uh, uh, the, 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 the impact of this great commission on us. We're going to break it up into three distinct parts. And we're going to look at what each of these three parts means for us today. And as we do that, let us keep in mind that this was a, a life-changing thing that happened with these disciples. They heard this teaching and it ignited a movement. It actually set the stage for what happens on the day of Pentecost, which Craig is going to talk about next week. So let's dig into it. The first thing we're going to look at in this great commission is the command. All right, we have the command. Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Now, when we read this entire passage, it actually seems like there's a lot of commands here. Go, make disciples, baptize, teach, all that stuff's in here. And it can seem like there's a whole lot of commands. But if we look at the original translation, there's actually only one single command in this entire teaching of the Great Commission. That command is to make disciples. That's the only command there. Jesus commands us to make disciples. Everything else that comes with this is instruction on how to do just that. Now, a couple things are important to keep in mind as we consider this one command. The first thing, Jesus says, he says, go therefore and make disciples. So as Pastor Craig likes to do, he says, when you see the word therefore, you have to stop and say, what is it there for? Right? So we're going to do just that. What is it there for? 
Prior to that statement, Jesus had declared that all authority in heaven and on earth had been given to him. Now, in this moment, Jesus had been brutally murdered, nailed to a cross. His body had been buried in a sealed and guarded tomb, yet here he stood before hundreds of his disciples. The scars of the cross evident on his body. Jesus literally had conquered death. The guards couldn't stop him. The tomb couldn't hold him back. The hell itself couldn't keep Jesus down. And here he stood. So his authority, all the authority in heaven on earth was fully on display for the disciples to see as Jesus gives this command. So he says, go therefore, because of my authority that I have, as you can clearly see, go and make disciples. That's why we make disciples. A second thing to keep in mind, and I'm reiterating here, there is only one command in this. Right? The command is to make disciples. See, as humans, we, we have this tendency to try and find wiggle room or to try and come up with excuses that we can, we can justify not doing things that we're uncomfortable doing. And so this passage has, has, be, has been used throughout centuries to inspire people to make disciples, but people have taken those commands and have used them as a way to also exempt themselves from making disciples. The focus has been on the go part. And people have said, well, you, you're called to go somewhere to make disciples. So that's, that's for missionaries, right? And I'm not a missionary. I'm not called to go anywhere. I'm going to stay right here in Canandaigua. I'm not going anywhere. And so I'm not, I'm not part of this command, right? But that's not the command. The command's not to go. The command is to make disciples. Some people focus on the baptized part. Well, that's a pastoral duty. I know I'm not a pastor, so this doesn't apply to me because I can't baptize someone. Well, listen, you know, John the Baptist, he didn't go to seminary. He didn't have clergy credentials in his pocket. The disciples, they all had day jobs. They were fishermen or tax collectors. The apostle Paul was a tent maker. You know, the fact that only pastors can baptize people, that's a human creation. That's not in scripture. And I'm glad to be a part of a church where we let people who aren't pastors baptize people, (laughs) you know? So this doesn't exclude you because it says to baptize. That's not the command. The command is to make disciples. Or maybe you focus on the teach part. I'm not a biblical scholar, so I can't teach people God's word. That's not the command. The command is to make disciples. That's the only one command, and there is only one requirement to be a part of that command and to fulfill that, and that's to have a personal and authentic relationship with Jesus Christ in which we are completely submitted to the full authority of Jesus Christ. Anyone who falls under that is a disciple of Christ and is qualified to fulfill this command to make disciples. So we know the command, make disciples. We understand this command is, is, is backed by the full authority of God. And we know that everything else is instruction or next steps for fulfilling that command. So let's take a deep dive into the direction that Jesus gives, the, the instructions that he gives. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. I'm thankful that Jesus didn't simply give a command. He didn't simply say, go and make disciples and then wash his hands of it and walk away. He offers more information. He expounds upon that. As a parent, uh, I've adopted a phrase that, I, that I've grown to, to use quite often. Um, I learned it from my father, who it was handed down from him by his father, and so on and so on. And that phrase is, because I said so. (laughs) 
I use it with my kids all the time. I've got kids in here. Three of my four kids are sitting in here listening to this message right now, and they've heard it. <laughs> they've heard it. And I no doubt my son will say it to his kids, and probably my daughters will say it to their kids too. You know, young people, you don't need an explanation. You do what I tell you because I said so. If there was anyone who was ever qualified to say that, it's Jesus Christ. Especially in this moment, as he's standing there, listen, I was hanging on that cross, yet here I am. I was buried behind that tomb, yet here I am. Why do you go make disciples? Because I said so, and go do it. He could have done that, but I'm thankful that he didn't. I'm so thankful that he didn't. He, he says, I have this divine authority, and I want to journey with you as you make disciples, and I want to show you how to do that. And he goes on to tell us. He gives us a clear plan for discipleship, a discipleship pathway. You first use that phrase here. We have a discipleship pathway at Crossings. Here's Jesus' discipleship pathway. He says, make disciples of all nations. So what does that mean? It means that the gospel is for all people everywhere. Who are we to make disciples of? Every single person in existence. No one's excluded from this. Then he says, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What's this mean? That means that those who have believed in the good news of the gospel should commemorate that belief, should seal that belief through the sacrament of baptism. And he goes on, teaching all that I have commanded you. Teach all of Christ's commands. What does that mean? It means that those who have believed and been baptized are to live, learn, and grow according to the truth of God's word. Over the last several months, we've, we've gone through the entire book of Romans, and you heard Craig say the phrase or the word uh, uh, sanctification like a thousand times. This is what sanctification is. It's living, learning, and growing each and every day according to the truth of God's word. That's how we make disciples. Jesus gives us this amazing, clear instruction. But he goes on to tell us when to do that. When do we make disciples? And we have to go back to when he says, go therefore. Let's zero in on that word, go. The most accurate way to translate what Jesus said, what his disciples would have heard come out of his mouth, is this. As you're going, therefore make disciples. It's a big difference. Our modern translation has changed that to go therefore, but the most accurate translation is as you're going, make disciples. So what does that mean? Jesus is saying to his disciples and to us today that we are to see every part of our lives as a potential mission field, as an opportunity to make disciples. So make disciples as you're going to work. Make disciples as you're going to school as you're going to church, as you're going to the grocery store, as you're going to the doctor's office. Make disciples as you're driving down the road, as you're talking to your kids, as you're talking to your parents, as you're walking around your neighborhood, as you're meeting on Zoom, as you're texting your friends, as you're posting on social media. How many of you are making disciples with your posts on social media? We are to go through our life as you're living your life, make disciples. That's what Jesus teaches us here in this Great Commission. Now, looking at that Great Commission through that accurate translation, it, it, it makes it something altogether different, right? It makes it even harder, I would think, if we think about that. It really does. <laughs> I think something like 70% of you are going to go to Wegmans after church today, right? That's, that's what I see when I go to Wegmans after church. It's like everyone's there from Crosswinds. 
How many of you are going to be thinking of ways to make disciples while you're walking through the aisles of Wegmans? I don't usually, but here Jesus is telling me I should. As I'm going through my life, I should look for opportunities to make disciples. That's what he calls us to. So this leads to a further deep dive into how. Because it seems intimidating. It seems hard, right? Anybody else think that's intimidating? Okay, okay, I guess I'm the only one. No. <laughs> Whatever. A couple things to keep in mind. First of all, we're here for a reason, all right? God knows what he's doing. God knew what he was doing when he planted you in this community. God knew what he was doing when he planted you at this church. And God wants to use you where you are. Listen to this quote from St. Francis. I think it's so applicable to this. He said, truly charity has no limit. For the love of God has been poured into our hearts by a spirit dwelling in each one of us, calling us to a life of devotion and inviting us to bloom in the garden where he has planted and directing us to radiate the beauty and spread the fragrance of his providence. The very poetic way of saying, as you're going, make disciples. God knows what he's doing. He wants to use you where you are as you're going. Second thing to keep in mind, making disciples is all about relationships. Okay? We can be a positive witness to complete strangers. We can evangelize complete strangers, but we're not going to make disciples out of complete strangers. Discipleship is relational. Discipleship is about relationships. So we need to step back and assess our relationships. Where are the opportunities in those existing relationships we already have to make disciples? What opportunities are we missing? Who do we have conversations with every day or every week that we could be talking to about God and their walk with him? Discipleship is about relationships. Third thing, keep in mind, Jesus promises to be with us wherever we go. He is with us all the time. And Craig's going to talk about this more next week as we look at the day of Pentecost. But God literally dwells in us as the indwelling Holy Spirit. So when we're walking through the aisles of Wegmans, that's, that's sacred ground because God is there. He is with us wherever we go. And he will empower us and equip us to make disciples as we're going through our daily lives. We cannot do this on our own, and thankfully we don't. So we know the command, we have some clear direction, and let's take a deeper look at this promise that we just looked at, all right? As a parent, <clears throat> sometimes I get things right, and more often than I care to admit, I get things way wrong, right? I tend to, a lot of times, just react in the moment, kind of fly off the cuff a little bit, and, and that doesn't usually go well for anyone, particularly my kids. I don't know why, as I was preparing the sermon, a lot of parental stuff came to mind, but a couple days ago, I checked the mail, and I handed the stack of envelopes off to my wife, and, and she's looking through, and she opens one up, and I hear her say, exasperated, why does our water bill keep going up? <laughs> right? In that moment, hearing my wife upset, it tuned my ears very specifically to the sound of water running from downstairs in our house. And I knew what that meant. It meant that my 16-year-old son was in the shower, and it meant that he was probably in the 45th minute of that shower, which was probably the third shower he'd taken that day. And so in that moment, I marched downstairs. I banged on that bathroom door, and I said, get out of the shower right now. Our water bill is through the roof. And I sounded so much like my dad, it scared me. 
I think I even went so far as to say, you have a job now. You can start helping pay the water bill. (laughs) My poor son was just in the wrong place at the wrong time, a total victim of circumstance. He told me after first service, he said, Dad, you should be thankful that I care about my hygiene and take showers. (laughs) Son, I'm sorry that I yelled at you for showering. I got to tell you, I am thankful that Jesus doesn't react that way. And I try to imagine this moment, this situation he finds himself in. He's staring out at 500 disciples, and Scripture says that some doubted. How frustrating that would have been. I can, I mean, if I were there, I'm like, I'm standing here. Do you see me? Do you see these holes in my wrists and in my feet? I, I was on the cross yet. Here I stand, and you still doubt? Jesus could have just been ticked off by that, right? And then it said they, they all worshiped him, but he could have been thinking to himself, you know what, where were you on the day I was being crucified? You all abandoned me. Now you have the nerve to come stand before me and worship me? When I needed you most, you were gone. But he didn't, he didn't react at all like that. Instead, he sounded just like his heavenly father. He sounded just like his heavenly father. He says, I want to partner with you. I want to partner with you to change the world, to make disciples. And I have all this authority, and I'm I'm bestowing that authority upon you. I'm giving you the authority to do that too. And I'm going to not only tell you to do it, I'm going to tell you how to do it, and then I'm going to be with you all the way. And he makes this promise that he he echoes the the words of his heavenly father that was given to Joshua over 1,400 years earlier. Joshua Joshua 1.9, it says, Have I not commanded you, God says, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And the writer of Hebrews declares that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we can rest on this promise knowing that Jesus made it to the disciples, but he makes it to us and the same promise holds true today. We can rest on that promise. How do we make disciples? Because the one with all authority in heaven on earth tells us to, he tells us how to, and he promises to be with us as we do it. That's how the church starts a movement that changes the world. I want to be a part of that movement. I want you all to be a part of that movement. Over the last several months, as we went through the Roman series, Craig repeated uh, the scripture, the, the, the truth from that passage, or that, that whole book that says we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're all family, right? So look around. We're having a family meeting this morning. All right? My kids don't like it when we say, kids, it's time for a family meeting. They know something's coming up, but we're having a family meeting. We're going to get real with each other as a family. All right, we're going to do a little exercise. I want you to pick your strong arm, all right? Pick your strong arm. Go ahead and stretch it out because we're going to use this arm for a minute. All right, go ahead. All right. As you're able, I want everyone to raise their hands up. Raise your hands up, everyone. Everyone here, raise your hand. Not both, put one hand. I I said pick the strong arm. (laughs) I know who listens well. I saw that. All right. All right. Arms up. It's going to get a little tired here. Hopefully you put on deodorant this morning. All right. Listen. All right. Keep your hand up if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Keep your hand up. All right. Now, everyone, look. don't look around. If you put your hand down for any reason, that's okay. There's no shame. This is not what this is about. All right. Keep your hand up if you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Keep your hand up if you've been baptized. 
Keep your hand up if you are growing in Christ and have an authentic desire to continue to grow in Christ. Okay? Keep your hand up. Keep your hand up if you consistently spend time in God's word and prayer. Keep your hand up. Keep your hand up if you want every single person on the planet to know God. A lot of hands. Now, if your hand is up, you should be discipling someone. Intentionally, same thing happened last service. Hands just dropped when I said that. You're like, no, no, sorry, I didn't mean to, you know, never mind. All right, you can put your hands down now. But everyone who had their hands up at the end there should be discipling someone intentionally and consistently. And as many hands as were up, there were as many hands down, there's someone you could be discipling. All right? And if you put your hands down, that's fine. You know what? You know what your next step is. You know clearly what your next step is. If you put your hand down because you haven't accepted Christ yet, today's the day to say yes to Jesus. There's no better day, no better time than right now. Just invite Jesus into your life. If you put your hand down because you haven't been baptized, we'll set up the baptistry and we will baptize every single Sunday until everyone here is baptized. Just let us know. If you're not spending time consistently in God's word and prayer, your life will be better for it. Start today. It takes a while to build. That's like a muscle. It takes a while to work it out. So you, you may do like one or two days and then, you know, go a couple days not doing it, but you keep, keep with it. Before you know it, you'll be doing it every day. And I think everyone here has a desire for everyone to know God. Right? We believe at Crossman so strongly in one-to-one -one discipleship. Think of it as spiritual mentorship. It's a biblical model. It makes discipleship easy and approachable for every single person. And every disciple of Christ, wherever you are in your spiritual journey, has a place in the Great Commission. So after service, don't leave. There's going to be a handful of people standing up front that would love the chance to talk with you about discipleship. Whether you want to be discipled or you want to start discipling someone, come forward and just introduce yourself. We want to make it as easy as possible. I heard someone say a long time ago, discipleship, we've overcomplicated it. It should be so easy a kid can do it. And so we found this resource that we really think, it's a time commitment, sure. But we all need to make time for it, and it's so easy a kid can do it. That's how we get to partner with God and the Great Commission. Just imagine, if every hand that was up would discipling someone, and everyone who's in this room would go out and see as their life, all the opportunities they have to to disciple someone, it would cause a movement in our community that would change the world. That's not exaggeration. That's what God says will happen. It's what happened. And it happened again throughout history. We can look at moments where these movements ignited and it changed the world. We are the United States of America because of a movement like that. These movements change the world and we can be part of it. That excites me. I think the most critical piece, though, is remember that promise. Jesus says, I will be with you always to the end of age. You know, the, the, the struggle's real. The struggle's real, you know? I, I, I preach this sermon, and I, I prep all this, and I, and I talk about this, but I recognize all the ways that I fall short, all the opportunities I miss. I'm so thankful that God patient with me, graceful towards me, and is with me to the end. And I can think of no better way to celebrate that, the reality of that promise today, than through the sacrament of Holy Communion. 
So we're going to celebrate communion today. We're going to do it a little bit differently. Hopefully you got the little all-in-one cup on your way in. If not, raise your hand, and we'll make sure you get one. We got some hands over here. All right, you all walk right by the tables. You probably were the ones that had both your hands in the air, weren't you? No, just kidding. Sorry. Just kidding. Listen, we're going to do communion just a bit different. The band's going to lead us in a song. And I want you just, in the quietness of your heart, just have one-on-one time with God right now. Listen to the words of the song. Reflect on the teaching of Christ. And prayerfully, when you feel ready, take the elements of communion. We're not going to come back together at the end and all take it together. Just take it during the song as you feel led. All right? But listen to this word. Jesus Christ, we get to do something that Jesus instituted and participated in himself. He gathered together with his disciples for one last Passover feast. And he instituted the sacrament of communion. Listen to Matthew 26, 26 through 28. Jesus said, it says, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples. And he said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Communion is a sacrament instituted by Christ as a way of perpetually affirming God's covenant or promise to us. So as we take the elements of communion, we are are anchoring ourselves in God's promise to be with us always to the end of the age. And we know that the bread represents the body of Christ. The juice, the cup, uh, represents the blood of Christ. So let's go to God in prayer now before the band plays the song. Almighty God, we thank you so much for all that you've done for us. God, I thank you that you sent your one and only son to die on the cross for my sins, that his body was broken for my transgressions. His blood was shed to wash away the sins in my life. And that that saving act of the cross is available to anyone who would open up their hearts to you, God. And so I pray that if there's anyone in our midst who has not said yes to you, that today would be the day they make that decision. Whatever standing in your in their way, God, I pray that it would go away and that they would invite you into their heart. And Lord, for the rest of us, God, who already have a relationship with you, help us to see what our next step is. Help us to hold on to your promise to be with us wherever we go. And may we all work together as, as your church, God, as the bride of Christ, as the family of God, to make disciples and change this world. Love you, Lord. We give you praise. We pray this all in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.